Welcome to Eat, Sleep, Wine, Repeat, a podcast for all you wine lovers who, if you're like me, just cannot get enough of the good stuff. I'm Yanina Doyle, your host, brand ambassador, wine educator, and sommelier. So stick with me as we dive deeper into this ever-evolving, wonderful world of wine. And wherever you are listening to this, cheers to you. Hello, wine friends, and welcome back to part two with Philip Cox of Cramley Rikash. We will be continuing our journey into Romanian wine, and trust me, this episode is jam-packed. So... We will be touching on Feteshka Negra. So this is the red grape variety of Romania and is the flagship. So you're going to learn all about that. We will be talking about orange wines and how they're made. And can I just make a point? We do discuss some food pairings for Philip's orange wine after recording I got a green and blacks organic dark chocolate with ginger and orange and I paired it with the orange wine. Now this orange wine is dry, but my God, it was an amazing pairing, seriously. And of course, the, the synergy of both of the products being organic was quite nice as well. So try that. I loved it. And talking of organics, we will talk about how do you get organic certification and actually some of the complications that perhaps you haven't even thought about once the wine leaves the winery. So Philip will be educating us on that. We'll be discussing the glass bottle crisis and actually you'll understand how glass factories genuinely work and what the problems are and we'll look at it from a much more of a sustainability angle and then Philip's bright idea to combat this. Now you can't talk about wine without winemakers so we will be chatting a little bit about the romance in the winery, I shall leave it there, and incredibly affordable Pinot Noir. That is a topic that comes up along with the other great varieties that perhaps you should be looking for when you see Romania on the label. Now, don't forget, there is a transcript. Go to the show notes and at the top, there'll be a link to download. This is, I'm afraid, the last episode of the year. So may I ask you all, if you have been enjoying this podcast, please do leave me a review on Apple Podcasts or some ratings on Spotify. You taking just a few minutes to write or rate tells all those wonderful algorithms that this podcast is actually interesting and gets shown to more people. So that will be a fantastic Christmas gift for me. Now enough rambling, let's go over to the episode with Philip now. Enjoy. Now, talking about wine packaging... Let's talk about the wine packaging crisis because there is one. It's really bad. Mm-hmm. And a lot of wineries are stressing out like crazy because, yeah, where the hell do you get your glass from? Where do you get your cardboard from? What The, the prices of, I mean, f- let's talk about that for a second. How much have glass bottle prices gone up for you in the last year or so? They've more than doubled. And that's yeah. quite significant because the bottle is the most expensive bit of the packaging. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. it's always the most expensive bit, and they've doubled. So probably means about twenty p a bottle shelf price difference just from the cost of the bottle. But then the labels yeah. have gone up as well. The cardboard boxes have gone up. Screw caps they're made from aluminium. Anything which uses a lot of electricity or energy to make has gone up a lot. So glass uses a huge amount. Yes. And screw caps too. The corks have gone up. There's there's apparently a cork crisis as well, which I didn't know about until quite recently. Mm. The drought has affected the amount of cork that's made. So um, yeah, it's not good. It's all it's all going up, and I think it crystallizes a problem that existed anyway. With glass bottles are not yeah. good for the environment either. They are not good. No, but people not think at all. they are because other kinds of packaging aluminium and plastic have gotten a bad you know a lot of bad publicity actually glass is much worse glass is the biggest contributor to greenhouse gases for what the wine industry it's about a third of all the greenhouse gases 
It's just from the glass bottles. Yeah, I mean, it's a really, really big thing. And I mean, there's a lot of campaigning. There's a letter, interesting. I don't know if you know. Yeah, I saw that. From, yeah, I there's that. a group of producers that do different alternative packaging. And mm-hmm. they've sent a letter to the government saying, look, we want you to do something about this. Perhaps make like taxes, make the taxes less. Make it advantageous for wine producers to use different packaging so that we can stop doing glass. Because it's it's a real difficult one. Because when we're used to glass the sophistication of glass it's like people feel like oh no i don't want something you know oh bag in box or i don't want something in a carton or i don't want this yeah well of course but then thankfully people are really showcasing the quality of the wine that are in these different packaging and and the majority of wine gets drunk within the first few years I think, I don't know what the percentage is now. Is it 80% of wine? It could be even more. I think it's more than 80%, yeah. And there's, there's, I've seen a statistic that like 65% gets drunk in the first week from when people <laughs> buy it. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, really yeah, true. And, and it's over awesome. 80% which gets drunk in the first year. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Exactly. Most of it is not held back to age. And so... I found it fascinating the what you came up with and what you showed us. Can you tell everyone listening your potential idea to combat this glass wine packaging crisis? Well, we've been looking at it energy anyway for a long time because we've been doing our carbon neutral certification. So we've mm-hmm. been working on that for a couple of years. And we very quickly found out that the real problem is the glass. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so we've been looking at lots of different solutions. You know, we looked at cans, and we do have bagging boxes. Bagging boxes are great, but they defect with the, the problem they have is a little bit short lifespan. Mm-hmm. So the the tap on them, yes, after about nine months, and uh, it starts to let in air into the wine, which is not yeah. good. It's fine for restaurants where you can get through it fairly quickly. But if it's it's a bit short for our industry. People don't understand that wine needs to be rotated. You know, it's a living product, and you can't keep it sort of forever. Not not all wines, and especially not in bagging boxes. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we've been looking. The thing that I find the most optimistic and most potentially good is these. We call them recycled PET, multi-barrier PET, or something like that. <laughs> it's, okay. it's a kind of plastic which is it's it's recycled plastic. Yep. So it's good because it's taking plastic out of the environment. It's ta- they literally fish them out of rivers and the sea and stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's recycled plastic. And it has like a layer inside which prevents oxygen transfer, so no air getting into the wine. And it's good yep. for a, at least a couple of years, which I think is enough for most day-to-day wines. And the really cool thing about it from my point of view is several aspects obviously it's about three times less carbon footprint than a glass bottle during the production phase of it so it uses much lower temperatures much mm-hmm. easier to make in a short time glass factories obviously have to melt sand so they're running at like a thousand five hundred centigrade non-stop every day all year day and night they use yeah. they use a shed load of energy to make them they can't actually stop glass factories when they're making bottles they have to keep going for like five years and then when they stop them they have to destroy them they solidify wow. it and and they have to break them into bits and build a new one okay. so it's a very it's a very odd industry glass i mean i love mm. glass it's beautiful and i like how it looks yes, but yes. It, it creates a lot of it uses a heap of energy and it's and then that's just during the production yeah. and then it uses even more energy getting to the consumer so it's heavy we can only fill the trucks that we send of wine to people about 60% because of the weight of it. It's so mm-hmm. heavy. All European roads have weight limits. You can't actually fill up the trucks. So they're trying, they're going like one third so empty yeah. using up all that diesel and fuel and then ships and trains. It's all the same. It's tra- transporting a lot of, you know, wasting a lot of space. Yeah, of course. So plastic bottles are 10 times lighter. They're 50 grams compared to 500 grams for a standard glass bottle. So they use about 10 times less carbon during transport. And then after people have drunk them as well, they still need to be taken somewhere, recycled. Even recycled glass uses a lot of energy and fuel to be lugged around, you know, crushed up. And Mm -hmm. it's just heavy. It's heavy. It's beautiful, but it's heavy. Yeah. So these plastic bottles are much better ecologically and then the other advantage i think i see them is that we as an industry we have to get people looking at alternative packaging yeah 
people are very conservative. They like how bottles of wine look and expect a bottle of wine to look like it does. Yes, And I think course. that the, pl the plastic bottles are the closest looking solution that we have right now, you know, compared to cans or bagging boxes. That's why I was so impressed with what you showed us, because what for anybody listening, they're like, okay, cool. Philip's talking about a plastic bottle. Mm. What you guys don't realize is when Philip brought out and showed us this plastic bottle, literally on the shelf, it looked exactly like a glass bottle. It looked exactly the same and it was only when we felt it and we held it in our hand and we smacked it around each other's heads just because you know for fun yeah. um that we realized that it was in fact a plastic bottle and so that's the point your prototype it looked like a wine bottle it will look like a wine bottle on the shelf it will look like it when someone pours it for you it's just when you hold it and you realize how light it is and when you look in detail then you realize it's plastic so i think that that is an amazing way to hopefully get enough people to shift across. And when people really do understand the impact, all the CO2 and the advantages of what they're drinking from. Yeah, we have to, we have to tell people about the environmental yep. aspects to it and sell yep. that. It's good for wineries too because we don't have to change our equipment to use them. So if we want to put wine in cans, I have to buy a million euro machine, which is a bit of a pain Bag in million boxes euros, again. yeah. It's a little bit expensive, isn't it? And then um, <laughs> it's good for other things too. It's, it's. I think it's good for a lot of things like you know festivals, concerts, yeah, um, yeah. outdoor events. Obviously, airplanes and the travel industry. Oh, I think I see a lot of uses for it. I see. I. I, I think it's a good way to go. We're, we're trying. We'll see. But the other Watch problem is, yeah. apart, from, apart from the ecological problem, is that literally the problem with glass has gotten so serious that a lot of wineries can't actually get bottles at all. Yeah. So, <laughs> and it, if, if the energy situation gets worse, like if we have a tough winter and the war gets worse and the situation with the gas supply gets worse, literally a lot of glass factories might close. Some have already closed because of the costs. It's just too expensive. Yeah. yeah. So I'm glad I have a plan B just in case all the glass factories shut. We, well, we've got to a point where there's not enough glass in Europe or around the world. And um, it's very, very close to being a complete disaster. Well, I kind of hope that you do get forced into plan B. And I hope that others do as well, because then we could really make a difference. You know, that's, um, but we'll see, won't we? We'll see what mm -hmm. happens we'll see. over the winter. In the meantime. Yes. Anyway. <laughs> wine. Back to wine. Back to wine. Sorry. I don't say sorry. That was I, really like interesting to, I ramble on about environmental things if you get me going. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't sworn once yet. You've been very well behaved. I'm trying. <laughs> but, but unfortunately, it might all fall apart right now because I'm going to take you to the orange natural wine, which you were telling me does cause you to say a few F words and such like. Yeah, right? I've, had, I've had a sort of bipolar relationship with uh, the natural <laughs> wine community i have to say <clears throat> about natural wines it's uh -huh. counterintuitive for people that um okay. use our winery is very modern we make wine in a sort of latest way according to mm -hmm. our winemakers they get a lot of research and they, they they're always changing updating how we make our wines mm -hmm. we, we work with the guys at the australian wine research institute we have a lot of friends down there they're always coming up with no stuff, new stuff. Orange wine is like going back to the past. It's like how people made wine in the past. It's like, I guess it's like people that are enthusiastic about steam trains and stuff. <laughs> and you, you can take two views. Most winemakers will say, oh, you know, that's bullshit. Like, why should we go back and do something like in the past, which has been proven to not bring the best out of a wine? That's scientifically, that's what they will say. I say, you know... There are people that like steam trains, so you can't write those people off. If they want, to, if people want to drink this kind of wine, then I think it's worth trying to make it for them. Yeah. What I don't like is a lot of orange wine. So what, where I got into disputes with the some of the journalists and people that deal with natural wines, they're they're like a cult. They um. <laughs> As if every other wine is dirty. Well, well, yeah. For, that's the main. The biggest problem is that they. They make a lot of statements which assume and portray all of the wines as not being natural, which I don't think is true. And also, uh, they try and cover up a lot of wines that have like evident defects. And, and 
praise them and say that's how they're supposed to be. I, I never thought that a wine should have defects. You know, it just shouldn't. Of course. You're selling something. It's a food product, a drink. You know, mm -hmm. it should taste nice and it shouldn't have defects. Yes. So I've seen that people are interested in it. There's a, there's a market for it. There are people that want wine with no additives. So for anyone that doesn't know already, my definition of natural wines is that it has no added sulfur. It's made from organic grapes. Has no other additives, no fining, no yeasts. It's just literally grapes. And then the orange part of it is to do with macerating the grapes on the skins. Mm -hmm. Yes. It's a very tricky type of wine to make. The, the sulfur in the wine is not, a, my opinion, a dangerous chemical. Well, it is dangerous if you get into a room and try and in breathe stupid, it. In, in stupidly high quantities, it's dangerous. Not in a be, bottle of wine. Exactly. The yes. amount we put into wine is not dangerous in any way, and it no. doesn't give you headaches and stuff. That's all bullshit. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Spoiler alert. Starting to swear. <laughs> <laughs> Carry on. I like. Come on, come on, Philip. You can do it. Get those boxing gloves on. Right. Carry on. So you, <sighs> I've been. We've. I gave our winemakers the job. I said, look, we can sell this kind of wine. We have organic grapes here. Let's try it, but make it, you know, defect-free. And it's still an orange wine, so it still has that character which comes from fermenting the white grapes on their skins. So it's made very similar to a red wine, but using white grapes. So it does have that texture and it has a different character to white wine, but I think it's a nice character. If you taste it, it's sort of nutty and it's it's quite textural. It's not a it's not one of these fruit bomb aromatic wines because the fermentation process we use on it cuts out a lot of the fruit from being fermented on the skins, and also the not having any cultured yeasts also reduces a bit from the fruitiness. I think the wild mm. yeasts are a bit more crazy, but you have other flavors that. I think compensate for that if you can keep it in the wine without messing it up so that's why i had a lot of disputes with the natural wine writers and twitter followers and stuff because they, they say that you can't do it in a big winery it's just wrong doing it in a big winery because it's supposed to be artisanal but we, it is oh you're ruining the system philip we're yeah we're messing up the system and <laughs> I think the main thing that they didn't like is that our orange wines are like half the price of all the other orange wines. And they're really good. And Okay, so let me introduce this wine. First of all, it's actually called Orange Natural Wine. That is what it says on the label. This is the name of the wine. It's a 2021, everyone. It is a blend of Riesling, Muscat, Ottonel, and Sauvignon Blanc. So we're really mixing that beautiful aromatics and high acidity, fresh varieties together. And what is amazing about this is I don't really like orange wine. And I think many people don't like orange wine because it's generally served cooler. It's got the aromatics of a white wine because you're using white grapes, but you are keeping in contact with the skins so it's more robust it's got more tannins it's more grippiness maybe more bitterness and it can be quite hard to pair with food because you're like what is it is it a red wine or a white wine so generally for me I don't necessarily they're not my go-to this is absolutely drinkable for everybody and this is across the board of your orange wines I think everybody I've met who's tasted this wine would say exactly the same thing which is that there's a little tiny grippiness there's a little bit more like the it's almost like a like a furry chalky edge from the tannins but they're very very mild and it's just really concentrated fruits and so but without being in your face and so I think this is the perfect introduction to orange wine for anybody who's like oh am i gonna like it start with this one right mm -hmm. that's what we were trying to do we were trying to make a commercial orange wine so something that we can yeah make consistently every year which is nice to drink doesn't that's why have, they don't like you doesn't have any <laughs> defects doesn't have like volatile acidity or mousiness or bretonomyces mm. or all kind of other mm -hmm. stuff that can go wrong with wines oh. it's not easy to do it's a lot of work trying to keep it clean and trying to keep for it away sure. from air yes. and work working without sulfur is very difficult for winemakers it means you have to have very good grapes the grapes have to be really perfect but um yeah i think we i think it's fun and we have a lot of good feedback on it a lot of people really think it's one of our their favorite wines that we make and it's selling very well. It's grown hugely. It's really, it's really taking off, and 
We sell it all over the world. The biggest markets for it are in Asia, so in Japan. Ah, South, okay, interesting. South Korea, they really go mad about it over there. I think it maybe suits their food or something, or they like the idea of the naturalness. But yeah, I've gotten more... It's changed the way I think about wine, too, to, to a large extent. I'm not as radical as some orange winemakers. I don't think that using yeast or sulfur is wrong. But there are there are definitely lessons to be learned from trying to make wines as natural as you can. I'm definitely against overworking wines and over-finding yeah. wines and adding too much to it. I think it's better mm. to do the work at the right time, don't make cock-ups and then not use any corrective you know, chemicals or ad- additions to the wine. So that applies to all our wines. That's why all our wines are vegan now and we don't add anything to them. It's a little bit more hard. You have to work very fast and you have to have the right equipment and good winemakers. But no. Well, we'll go on to the winemakers in a second, actually, because I love I love their story. But I'm going to finish off with this this orange wine. So for those of you that are jumping from your seats already, going to the laptop to see where you can purchase this, I found two places. So there is a place called clickanddrink.co.uk, but as in click N instead of and. So clickndrink.co.uk, £10.99. Again, super expensive, Philip. You really need to adjust your prices. Um, and... <laughs> And then we have Avery's of Bristol, who, if you do it in a mix 12, so you buy 12 different bottles, or 12 of this, you know, uh, 9 so it's a little bit more expensive. Singularly, they're doing 12 but in a mix 12, they take it down to 9 So this is, okay, so tasting note time for anyone. You've got this lovely ripeness of kind of mango skins and this kind of dried orange slices. For me on the nose, it's, you know, medium bodied, really fresh, very elegant. I think, again, it goes in line with the other wines that we tried in the the first part, in the first episode. A cleanness, a freshness, a purity of fruit. It's got some strength behind it. It has that tiniest little chalky kind of, I said that, almost like furry little tickle of tannins. But it's clean, it's crisp, it's fresh. And it's got so much nice, juicy fruit in there. That That is my tasting note. Mm-hmm. Avery's of Bristol. When I, I, Avery's used to be in Nailsy, which is literally where I lived through my teenage years. So that, oh, yeah, interesting. That means I've made it if my wine has arrived in Nailsy. <laughs> it is in Avery's of Bristol. Well, there you go. If you didn't know that, <laughs> congratulations. Oh, I'm pleased uh, to be able to tell you that. I even went to school with Mimi Avery. There you go. Ah, the, what, now yeah. you can get in contact with them. So go online and you'll have yeah, I do get in them. contact with her for some time. I thought she was trying to avoid buying my wine because she didn't want to be accused of um, kind of favoritism or something. <laughs> <laughs> we do see each other now and again, but not, not since they decided to buy our wine. There you go. So a conversation for the next time you mm-hmm. see her. Now, what would cool. you what would you pair with this orange wine? Because it's not too extreme. It's not too grippy, so we don't need to take it to kind of duck or maybe some some redder meats. I think we can stick with, you know, some grilled shellfish. I would love some, yeah, barbecued I, I, shellfish or something would be amazing. Yeah, I me. think uh, all kinds of fish. I would actually go as as far as saying that it's a good wine. Uh, I have actually tested it on, um, you know, with Japanese food. I've had it with like okay, yeah, yeah. with sushi and sashimi. Or the, you know, the ramen dishes. It works very Ooh, well with the ramen You're dishes. so right because of the um, the broth that yeah, they have and that kind of richness. Umami thing. <gasps> umami. Umami. Yes. <laughs> I've forgotten yes. how you say it. Umami. Umami. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To be honest, actually, yeah, just umami in general. And I think, you know, if you were having like... Um, some like a tuna steak and then you put like a little bit Mm -hmm. of a mango or a pineapple kind of you know salsa Mm -hmm. with a little bit of kind of herbs in there I think that could be really really nice as well but yeah Mm. lots of options everybody I love that a ramen ramen noodles oh I'm so do you know what I might consider yeah I might um, do that tomorrow with this proper proper ramen is really a cool thing and it's it's not easy to get here in Europe and I've had some in Japan that just blew me away 
And um, all the food I had in Japan blew me away. I just love it. I can't cook it. I like cooking, but Japanese is one of the things that just can't. It's so fiddly to make. Oh, my God, totally. I know. And that's I why they can charge so much as well when you yeah, go out there. You have to go you're not going to do it at home. Yeah. No. <laughs> exactly. But I love it. I love it. And this yes. this, this works. It's just, they have a huge market for it. And they, they sell it in shops there, this wine, with the same label you have here. And they have these wonderful Japanese sommeliers. And they have little... um. They have hats like English parking wardens. They have the white gloves and little hats, and they just make me laugh. And they're so in, they're so into it. They're so enthusiastic and very serious about oh, it. Brilliant! And brilliant. Oh. it's just a different world, but it's cool that our wine gets there and that they like it. So I'm very happy about that. And I'm very happy that they get to drink this. Mm-hmm. Now, let's look at your winemakers for a second because, you know, mm-hmm. they are superstars. And this is Harley, who is Australian, and then Nora, who's Spanish, and their husband and wife. <gasps> Just yeah, they, they got married, but after they started working for us, I, I think they had met after, before. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. You, so, but you feel like the love story developed? I think we, we helped them fall in love more. Yeah. <gasps> Oh. And they're a great team. They, um, I think you saw them when they were blending wines here. They, oh, they can taste God. like a hundred wines a minute, and they kind of know what each other thinks, and yes. they bounce ideas off each other. They're both really great winemakers in their own right. Hartley's been working mm-hmm. with us for about twenty years now, but he had a lot of experience before that. He worked in Chile and Spain, all over Australia, and Nora's from Navarra, sort of Basque region, Pamplona. Mm-hmm. And she had a lot of experience. She worked in Bordeaux and all over Spain. And now they work in the winter. They go back and work in Australia, which I think is really good for us because they get a lot of new things which are developing. That The wine, wine technology is changing all the time. People think yeah, it's a really yeah. stuffy industry. But the way we make wines now is totally different to what we were doing five, ten years ago. It's always changing. It's a lot going on, a lot of new developments. So they're always up to date with what, they, what they're doing. They know their stuff. And they and they work really good as a team, and then the other winemakers we have are also very good. We have four other all girls, women. all oh, ladies. Four. Oh, okay. I, I, thought I shouldn't six. call I shouldn't call them good. Well, with Nora, it's five. They all know their stuff, and I think they are more attentive to details than boys. And and they don't get into yes, such. Yes, I agree. I think we are. Yeah, they are. They're <laughs> they're good tasters. They're careful with the details, and they don't get into so many sort of macho arguments with the winery workers as boys do. Boys have this sort of <laughs> territorial thing. They're not good if you put two girls in the same place. They can actually be worse. But as long as it's girls working with boys, I think it works better. So I've worked with dozens of winemakers in my life. Yes. I would like to have more Romanian winemakers. People sometimes Ooh, ask why yeah. we don't have Romanian winemakers. The problem with Romanian winemakers is that they it's not a very good university here and young people are not they can't really learn about it here. Yeah. So it's quite difficult if they have to go and try and get to a university like in Australia or Germany or somewhere to learn about wine. It's beyond yeah. most people. And so therefore it doesn't happen. So yeah, so I guess I assume the amount of trained Romanian winemakers is minuscule then. It's not, not as big as the amount of Romanian wineries. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> well, how, many, how many wineries in Romania do you think there actually are? Do you I know? think there are... Officially, there are over 300, but I think actually making bottled wine, it's probably about 250 or 280 or something. And that is, that's 10 times what it was 10 years ago. So it's really developing very quickly. It's good. Am I right in terms of like, this is the fifth biggest area. Romania is the fifth biggest area under vine in Europe. Like, this is a serious, you guys it's, are a serious wine player. Yeah, people don't realize that, but it's a big wine. I mean, it's big, we produce more wine than New Zealand, for example, or Argentina. So it's, it's, it's a big, it's about the same size as Portugal in wine terms. So it's a big wine producing mm. country, but we drink, they drink most of it here. It's, it's, uh, actually produces less wine than it consumes. There are not enough vineyards and the Romanians are enthusiastic wine drinkers and, and the wine <laughs> the wine like scene is, is growing and getting more sophisticated here now. So this is exciting. And I mean again, mm-hmm. I think if I, I I was looking up some some facts and figures from Romania and really 
the private wineries really only started from 1994 and onwards, right? So before that, of course, it was all government. So, gosh, where you're going to be in the next decade is uh, Yeah, it needs a bit more exciting. time. We're still figuring out what grapes to plant where, how to do things. But of it course. is developing very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. Now, let's talk about what is probably your flagship grape variety. Yeah. Vitesca Negra. I would say that. that. I would agree with that. Flagship? Yeah, okay. Yeah. So, beautiful red wine. Oh, do you know what? I've just spilt it all over the table. Everybody, no matter how many years you're in the wine industry, sometimes you can't get the wine to your lips. Sometimes you can't get the wine from the bottle into the glass. Do you know what? I've done it again. Do you know what? I'm No, I'm blaming it. I'm bl- it must be your wine bottle. It's, it's not my fault. It. It's your fault. It can't be me. It's too heavy. <laughs> If only it was in a plastic we'll bottle. We'll send you a plastic one next time, yeah, just to be safe. Can, can you give me one that's childproof? You can drop them. You can't break them. <laughs> to be honest, there are lots of advantages, aren't there? Mm-hmm. Right. Okay, I'm going to tidy up my mess. Now tell me about this grape variety. What What is it like? Why is this the flagship? It's very old and it's very Romanian. We, mm. we believe it to be at least 2,000 years old. It came from the east of the country, the Romanian part of the region of Moldova, which was an independent kingdom for a long time. It's been around for a long time. Anything which has been around that for long is around for a reason, because a lot of grape varieties come and go. People give up on them. But when Mm -hmm. you have one that's been around that long, you you know that it must have something good about it. Otherwise, people wouldn't bother. So I think it's a great white wine. It's a red wine. It's soft. Has a bit of a femininity to it. It's, it's not like a powerhouse big red wine like Cabernet or Malbec or something. I would say it's between a cooler climate kind of Syrah character to it, or sort of a warmer climate Pinot Noir maybe. I'd even say, sorry, I'm going to say even maybe even like a darker, richer Merlot mm-hmm. but with softer tannins. Yeah, it's, it's but it's definitely it's definitely distinctive. It, when it's good, it should have um, you know be very soft and juicy. Some people try and make mm. it a little bit over-extracted and a bit, try and make it darker. I don't like that. I think it should have elegance. It's an elegant variety. Soft fruits, I guess plums or something, plummy or dark fruits anyway. Mm-hmm. should be just drinkable and fun. It has its own distinct aromas and flavors. It's different, you know, and it belongs to us. So I think it's, it's important for everybody here to grow it and use it as our flagship, like you said. It's not easy. It's a quite a difficult variety to grow. It's quite inconsistent. Some years it can, um, if you let the yield get away to too much yield, too many grapes per vine, it get, can be a bit thin and a bit difficult to ripen. It also, it, the sugar levels can get really, really high if you don't look after it as well, isn't it? <laughs> That's very true. Mm. It, um, it's a very fast ripener, which is normally a good thing, but it means you have to pick it at the right time to Choosing the right day to pick it on is very important. Yes, yeah, I've yeah. I've seen people in Romania that make sort of sweet ones because they let it get too ripe and then it doesn't ferment to dryness and becomes like a medium sweet mm. wine or something. Yeah. Mm. So that, that's quite hard to get the right time. But um, if you get it on the right site where the soil is not too rich and you control the grapes properly and farm them properly, it's a really good wine, I think. And I, I think it has a lot of potential... We're still figuring it out, you know, which are the, exactly the best spots to grow it on. Yeah. And I think we need to do more work on it. But um, definitely, to me, it's the Romanian variety with the most potential, for sure. And we're getting good feedback on it. This this particular mm. one is in the UK. They have it in Virgin Wines. Yes, they do. For £9.99, everyone. So get ready to remortgage your properties. Yeah, and it's, it's been going well. And I think they're doing more. <laughs> Actually, they're coming to see me next week, I think. So we'll see what oh, they want. You're going to be busy year. again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. More visitors. But we're happy to have them here. And um, we're hoping to get some more into some of the one of the posh English supermarkets for next year. But I can't tell you because it's, it's not a done it's a deal secret. yet. But I will tell you well, when it's done. 
Well, this one is easily accessible for everyone to be able to get on Virgin Wines mm-hmm. online. And and let's talk about label quickly. So cute, so fun. It's like the mountain ranges, but with gold foil and there's some bright pinks and purples and like duck egg blue and like a peachy orange color. Gorgeous colors. Really, really stands out for sure if I saw it on the shelf. It's a really beautiful, modern, fun, but it's got the elegant style with the gold leaf. Beautiful design again. Well done, Philip. It's a modern label. And it's it trying is a to, modern label, isn't it? It's trying to tell people that we're on the same parallel as the famous vineyards in France. Ah, okay. There oh, we that's go. the idea that's of it. Idea. We're on the 45th parallel here. I don't know what that means, you know. I think our wines are way better than the French, so... <laughs> Ugh, yeah, exactly. That DRC that's in Corny exactly. and Barry, like, meh. Well, I don't know what people are talking about. What's all the big deal? No, this is gorgeous. This is really, you get these lovely, uh, it's really black plums. It's very cherry natured, but it's got this like forest fruits as well. There's something really autumnal about it. So it's got a, like a bit of a bramble edge. It's got mm-hmm. something that tiny, tiny hint of maybe crushed leaves, but really the fruit is at the forefront. The tannins are super soft, really rounded, and it's just juicy. So if you like fruity, juicy, but with enough complexity where there's like a mixture of different flavors, I mean, this is highly gluggable. Yeah, and I think people that want to try something a bit different mm-hmm. go outside what they're used to. This is a good introduction to the variety at a good price. Oh, yeah. I think they do, I don't know how it works with Virgin, but I think they do like special offer boxes now and again where you can get it even cheaper than that. So, oh, yeah. Okay. It's got a nice little pepper spice on the finish as well. Oh, it's just lovely. I think it's a good, good wine for like barbecues, steaks and stuff. It's quite, it will stand up to meaty dishes. For sure. And to be honest, like even a beef stew would mm-hmm. be would be yeah. really nice. Oh, oh, I tell you what, talking about Ing in England, like a, a really nice beef and kind of mushroom pie, like, you know, like a ah. steak and ale, a steak and ale yeah, pie. Yeah, but, yeah, 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 yeah. But with some mushrooms in there. Oh, exactly. gosh, yes. That yeah. would be so delicious. And also because it's got that slight autumnal vibe, if you were to do a nice piece of steak with a concentrated like red wine jus and then some roasted vegetables. So you're kind of roasted carrots and your roasted Mm -hmm. parsnips. Mm -hmm. Very elegant, but I think it would pair beautifully, right? I think so. I miss miss English pies. I didn't we don't get enough pies here in Romania. The English Cornish pasties. Cornish pasties I miss. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, you know, listen, you know that they're going to be here for you when you come back. <laughs> we're always going to be here for you. Open arms and with a plate of pie. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, with them. With, fun fact. I don't know if this has changed and you want to give different information. But Caroline Gilby, Master of Wine, she said in 2021, there was 3,187 hectares planted of mm. Fetesca Negra. Mm-hmm. That sounds about right to me. Yeah. Yeah. So that's yeah, it's good, and I guess it's only going to go up, right? It's it's definitely taking off and and becoming more popular and um, growing. It, it wasn't that big a deal twenty years ago, but people are planting more and more of it. I, I think the Romanians are becoming more proud of their heritage. Mm. Twenty years ago, they were trying to copy French wines, but now they want to be more distinctly Romanian. And for you, where does this winery sit, Caramelirakash? We've obviously talked about this great variety now, Fetesca Negra. We talked about in part one, Fetesca Regala. These are obviously the two almost indigenous varieties, so that's why we focused on them. But what about you at the winery and other grapes? Obviously, you're working with Merlot and Cabernet Sauvignon and, and Pinot Noir. God, yeah. I'm going to pause that question. Let's talk about Pinot Noir for a second. We had, um, is, we had a we had a is, tasting yeah. in London. Carrot, you were talking about Caroline Gilby. Yes, we, yes. We had a we had a Fetesca Negra tasting. Oh yeah. This this week, I think, at, at the sixty-seven Palm Mall. And oh, Caroline okay, cool. actually, she said in her speech that uh, p- people expect Romanian wine to be Pinot Noir, but that Fetesca Negra is more valuable. I don't think I entirely agree with her about that. I think. Pinot Noir is something that works really well in Romania. Yeah. It's definitely our best-selling red wine in the UK. Um, mm-hmm. And it's and Romania is unusual that most Pinot Noir from around the world is very expensive. And so Romania isn't. Is 
Romania is like you the know, only country where it's not expensive. <laughs> right. Everybody who knows about wine and has gone further down the path of wine will know that Pinot Noir is super fussy in the vineyard, really hard to deal with in, in, in the winery. It can mutate, it can go moldy, it splits in your hand when you pick it. It's just, re- when you get it right, incredible. But typically... Even in the new world, to get something that's decent, you need to start paying 15. If you're talking about the old world, you're talking about Burgundy. Gosh, you really want to be on like 30 pounds. Like, it's really tough to get any kind of typicity. And I think that's the most important point. Of course, the more money you spend in general, better quality grape, it's going to taste better to some degree. But typicity Red fruit characters, a little bit of earthiness, a little good acidity, maybe something slightly mushroom, touch of umami nature. You guys smash it again for less than £10. For less Mm -hmm. than £10. I can't even... So, I mean, how on earth can you produce such reliable Pinot Noir in Romania? Honestly, how? I think it's just a very good region for the weather and the... It helps to be on slopes. It's not a variety that likes humidity. So you have to, mm. It's helpful if you have hills which get enough sun to get it ripened early enough. And it just seems to work in pretty much all the wine regions of Romania grow Pinot Noir. And we've been able to make it very consistent, growing the grapes in slightly different places with different weather patterns. So if it rains too much in one area, we just buy more from another region. And we've been able to make a nice, nice blend of it. We have we have quite a few around. We have one in Waitrose, which I think is a lot cheaper than you were saying, but it's just gone well. There's definitely one. I'm I'm looking at my notes now from when I came to see you. We Alliance Wines apparently yeah. has. It's called the Sol- Solivari. The Solivari. Solivari, yeah, that's one of the more premium ones. That's a good one. Yeah, more premium one. Apparently, selling for eight pounds. Hmm. And my tasting note here was wilder redberry fruits, hedgerow, herbs, and rose hips. I mean, how does that sound? With tension on the palate, soft feather-like tannins with a soft and juicy medium minus body. Oh, my God. I should That's... get you to write my labels. You never, you know, <laughs> yeah, I always find okay. it hard to talk about wine as nicely as you do. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, but we have a lot. See, we have a lot of different Pinot Noir labels and products in the UK. I mean, I think it's in Waitrose. I think we have one in Spa. And we have in a lot of the regional wine merchants, which are really good friends of ours, like Cornyn Barrow, like Tanners Mm. over in the Wales and the Midlands, Shrewsbury. And we have Adnams, who run a great chain of pubs and have also a brewery in Suffolk. And yes. San Orso down in Cormos, another brewery that we work with, and they they sell our wines to their their pub networks, and odd, and we just uh, it's a bit embarrassing. I don't even know I should mention it. We just <laughs> you've got to now. We also started selling it in Witherspoons. Yes. Okay. No, do you know what? I think the thing is that the the nice thing is you do so many different wines, and so there are so many different wines available whether it be in the supermarket whether it be in Weatherspoons, on trade or off trade and so people get to try a little something of yours wherever they are i don't think that's a bad thing it's all pushing the name of romania you know some people in the industry here hmm. would be upset you know that we we work with with supermarkets or big pub chains like that I think everybody that drinks a bottle of Romanian wine is going to be a convert and help Romanian wine in the future. So precisely, all you, the only way you can do it is by selling more of it. Yeah, it, well, and and if we just drink more of it, that will help as well, right? Exactly. Am I yeah, doing a good job? Okay, okay, you're, you're doing okay. great. You're oh, thank hired. Thank you, Philip. Thank you. <laughs> no, I have a question. Yes. The like the natural wine going back that was organic. How yeah. much of the wines that you're producing are organic? Because you are a huge winery. So is it a small percentage still? That's it's organic? not a lot. Yeah, it's 300,000 bottles from 30 million. So I, don't know, I can't even work that out. <laughs> What's it's the percentage? Zero, it's a zero. Drop in, yeah. Oh, no, it's 1%. Is it 1%? I think it's 1%. Yeah. Anyway. Do not ask me mathematics. It's okay, 300,000. But, you know, okay. it's, it's, it's 300,000 more than it was two years ago, so it's growing very fast. 
How does it work for you in terms of um, going through that organic process? Like what is involved? You're just getting specific vineyards certified, correct? There is. It's a complicated process to have a vineyard <laughs> be organic. It's yes. complicated all the way. So it, it means that they don't use any synthetic chemicals for spraying the vineyards. Mm-hmm. Most vineyards use specially developed chemicals to prevent mildews especially but also insects like spiders that eat eat the grapes and destroy the vines spiders insects mites mildews and funguses and these are chemicals some of them are very simple like copper sulfate which occur naturally and that's included for the organic farming too because it organic doesn't mean that people are spraying the vines with like tea or something it means it's mm-hmm. organic it's a naturally occurring chemical but it's still a chemical and that's what people have used for hundreds of years. But now in the last 50 years, they've invented a range of more powerful, what we call synthetic chemicals, mm. which, are, which are more developed. To, they work in smaller quantities and they prevent these funguses or they prevent insects from attacking the vines. So organic don't use any of that. They just use very simple chemicals, which is basically copper sulfate and sulfur dioxide is another natural it's a chemical but it naturally occurs you know mm-hmm. in the environment and they have to use that for a minimum of three years before they can get certified so you have to farm with these simple chemicals for at least three or four years and then you, you have to prove that to the certifying organization and then you can call your grapes organic and then in the winery has to be certified too and our winery is certified so it means you have to have a very careful traceability and quality control procedures. You don't mix up the organic wines with other wines. Mm -hmm. You have to have specific tanks for it. And then even going on to the people that buy it in the UK, since your wonderful Brexit, they've introduced a really complicated (laughs) system for the organic wines, which where even the people that sell it have to get certified in England Mm. yeah much more paperwork oh my god they have to have a separate warehouse for it in England where they set the people that sell it (gasps) really and jump through a lot more hoops than they used to when we were the part of Europe so that it's going to be it's a tough time for the organic wines sold in the UK it's it's, it's way more complicated I mean if you sell one organic wine you do all the paperwork you can sell more of them but for a regular wine importer or or shop or something it's it's a pain in that. A pain. <laughs> I won't say yeah, where it is. You, it's a pain. <laughs> we gonna say pain. We gonna say it was a pain in the arse. I was gonna Come say on, you that, feel it. Come on, you can say to, it. You're allowed. I was trying to censor myself. Yeah. This is not a podcast for children. Or it's, not. it's sad. It's sad. It's sad <laughs> because I mean, you would think they would want to be encouraging organic wines and more environmentally friendly wines. Although yeah, I, yeah. there is a bit of a debate to be had about whether organic actually is more environmentally friendly. Uh, I mean, there's still chemicals. I've kept quiet. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I've kept quiet because there's an issue with my little earthworms. They don't like those chemicals. But um, anyway. <laughs> yeah, I mean. we, we can only try. I, this is the point. There is a debate on everything. It's so difficult. We've all got to try our best. You know, that's why I think regenerative farming is becoming such a big deal. Yeah. Where people are just trying to look at how do we take care of our soil and our environment. But That's another podcast. That's a whole other podcast. <laughs> Let's stop, let's stop because we're never going to have time. So to finish up, Mm -hmm. going back to what I said about grapes, is there any other grapes that you are doing that you think are really excellent in Romania that people should be trying? It's going to disappoint you, I think, but I really strongly, strongly, strongly believe that Chardonnay grows really well here. Oh yeah, I am disappointed. We have. I know that sounds boring, so but, boring but no but, but it's if it's true it's true okay mm-hmm. it seems to go very well in romania and um we have one that we just started doing in majestic chardonnay and it's, it's really great and, <gasps> and it's taking was, off oh do you know what honestly i tasted that with you and it was stunning and i'm joking because it is a boring answer isn't it saying chardonnay but i mean at the end of the day for this price true, point again the yes, more if it's true, it's true. more exotic mm-hmm. things um we have another red variety which I know, I can't remember if I gave it a try. It's called Negru de Dragashan. This is a quite recently developed variety. It's a cross of uh, an old Romanian variety called Negru Virtos, which is a very old variety, but which had problems with flowering and was kind of inconsistent quantity-wise. Oh, yes. 
I did try uh, this. And it's crossed with uh, Saparavi from Georgia, which gives it more mm-hmm. good color. So it's a very nice soft red wine. It's very consistent every year. It's very juicy. Incredibly rare. There's only like 17 hectares of it in the whole world, which we have five. It's, it's hard to find. Wow, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. That's very exciting. And then, um, I said, I'm just looking, I just looked to see what I wrote about that. I said, a little Merlot-like, but slightly more savoury, a bit less rounded, and more directional. <laughs> that's what yeah. I put about that well, variety. I think it's got good potential. I mean, it's very new. Yeah. Uh-huh. Merlot does well here. We, we do also, we've just recently started producing Viognier. And then we have a few of our own varieties, which I think are interesting for certain things. Like we have one called Mustoise, which means literally okay. juicy. Must is <laughs> I juice. like that. Juicy, like yeah. That. Uh, that only grows here in our region, in the west of Romania. But it, it's very high acidity. We use it for sparkling wine, or sparkling wine-based mm-hmm. wine. And it's very green apple, very, very high acidity and very tart. But an interesting kind of green apple. I don't know what they're called. Granny Smith's kind of yeah, smell yeah, yeah. to it mm-hmm. okay and then yeah i think there are each region in romania has some varieties that are good at there's another one called babeska she from from old lady so feteska means young ladies everything about ladies i don't know why babeska <laughs> is it's like babushka in russian old lady oh yeah 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 yeah, yeah. And babeska is a so bit lots. it's a bit like gamay it's like a light mm-hmm. red wine. We make it to a lot of rosés. It's really good for rosé. Nice. We have a rosé, which is a blend of Babesca and Fetesca Negra with Syrah. It's in Marks and Spencer's. It's called Vara, which means summer. Mm. It has a picture. Like it. it has like a David Hockney painting of someone in a swimming pool on the label. It's a very summery ah, label. I like that. Yeah. So, yeah, there are lots of them. But, okay. you know. so listen, every yeah, everybody listening, I think you've got a lot to get going with. And these wines are exported. Everyone, I've got a lot of listeners in America, right? They're going to be able to find quite a lot of your wines in America. Yeah, there's a chain of shops yeah. called Total Wine, which is all over Perfect. America. Good. They have a heap of Good. our wines. And with 23 or 24 other countries too, so lots of places. Awesome. Everybody, mm-hmm. go and get these wines. You will be thanking me. So, you know, come let me know and and uh, sing both of both Philip's praises and mine. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now, to finish off, how do we say cheers? As I raise my glass that you can't see, how do I say <laughs> cheers in Romanian? It's norok, N-O-R-O-C, norok, norok. Norok. It means okay. good luck. Norok. It means good luck to you. Awesome. Philip, mm-hmm. no rock. No rock with your Virgin Wines visit next week. Mm-hmm. No rock with the next harvest as it comes along. And But we'll speak again, I'm sure, before that. Great. So thank you so much for sharing these thank beautiful you. wines with us. You're and, welcome. Um, yeah. Have a lovely weekend. Thank you too. Thanks Take for care. having us. Bye. Now that is it for all my episodes of 2022. We are close approaching Christmas. May I wish you all a very beautiful, illuminated, magical, festive season. And may I finish off with a beautiful quote from Ludwig Feuerbach, who was a German anthropologist and philosopher. And he said, happiness like a fine wine should be savoured, sip by sip. May your heart be happy this Christmas and your belly full. (laughs) I hope that you all find some time off in the next few weeks to relax, to unwind, to reflect on this year and get ready for an even better 2023. As I said, I'll be back in January, but not till the 30th. Be patient. I'm going to give myself a few weeks off and then I'm darting off to South Africa for some time in the Wineland. So I'll have many stories to tell you on my return. First episode back will be with Jimmy Smith, quite possibly one of the best wine educators out there. And we are going to take you to the Jura wine region. So until then, Merry Christmas guys. Cheers to you.